This episode of the Jack Vita Show is brought to you by CBS All Access. Ladies and gentlemen, I know a lot of you are Survivor fans and fans of reality TV. Unfortunately, Survivor will not be coming back in 2020 or in early 2021. We don't know when it will return. It will return in the future, however. But that doesn't mean you can't watch Survivor. CBS All Access has all 40 seasons of the show, including the season that my guest for today was on, season 23, Survivor South Pacific. If you want to watch Albert on Survivor, sign up at jackvita.com slash CBS. CBS All Access has plenty of other shows from CBS and Viacom properties. That means MTV, CMT, Comedy Central, Spike, and Nickelodeon. Plenty of great stuff on there. And they're also adding a bunch of Paramount movies. I just got an email about that about two minutes ago before I went on the air here. So lots of great stuff. Check out CBS All Access. And you can also stream live CBS if you want to watch your local NFL or SEC football games. You can catch those when you sign up. CBS All Access. You have access to CBS Sports HQ, a 24-7 sports network they do a really good job over there sign up today and get a one week free trial after that 5.99 a month go to jackvita.com slash cbs in addition to that we are also powered by the mlb shop if you're looking for a hoodie jacket t-shirt baseball cap you name it jersey all the apparel that you're looking for for these mlb playoffs with the playoffs heating up go to jackvita.com slash MLB shop. They got lots of great stuff over there. And finally, if you're a fan of other sports, we have a lot going on. If you want your LA Lakers championship gear, if you like college football, NFL, even hockey, even though it's over, you can go to jackvita.com slash fanatics. And there's all the same type of stuff, all great apparel, Fanatics does a great job. Check it out. And every time that you sign up or purchase something through any of those links, whether it's CBS All Access, Fanatics, or MLB Shop, this podcast is monetarily supported. So go ahead, check it out. All great products over there. Now, let's get to today's show. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to the Jack Vita Show. I am your host, Jack Vita, back in action today, Monday afternoon, October 12th, 2020. Was it a great weekend in the world of sports or what? It was another one. It was great. It's been Thanksgiving in October, the last week, with all these MLB playoff games. So much to get to. Today, we will recap the division series and preview the championship series. I'm so excited to speak with our guest who I will welcome in in a minute. But before that, if you are enjoying this podcast, subscribe to the Jack Vita show on Apple podcasts and leave a five-star rating and review on iTunes or subscribe wherever it is that you get your podcast. Every subscription, every five-star review does so much good for this podcast. Share this episode with your friends if you like it. We're having a great month right now, 
and I'm so excited to cover these playoffs. All right, no more time to waste. Let's bring in our guest for the day. This man competed on the 23rd season of Survivor, Survivor South Pacific, where he actually did really well, made it all 39 days, got to the very end of the game, but didn't end up winning. Uh, he also played college baseball. I know he has some baseball coaching experience. Albert Destrade, welcome to the show. Jack, great to be on. Excited to talk some baseball with you. Absolutely. Albert, first of all, how are you doing? It's been about 10 years or so since you were on Survivor. What have you been up to? Well, um, yeah, my time at Survivor, I was actually a uh, high school baseball coach. I think a lot of people uh, go on to Survivor and they kind of, you know, it's the old Russell Hance kind of <laughs> mantra of, uh, oh, I'm just a firefighter, but they're really <laughs> like an oil tycoon. Uh, for me, I actually was a lowly high school baseball coach at the time. I kind of, uh, I kind of looked at it like I, I tell people I kind of did my my work uh, history backwards. I, I did the let me pursue my passion early, and then I realized as I came up to, to thirty years old in South Florida, I was like, I gotta probably try to make a couple bucks here. So I, <laughs> I, I kind of went the other direction. But yes, yeah, it's my time on Survivor. I coached college baseball. Um, I was involved in the poker scene for a little bit and then I kind of transitioned into some other, um, you know, kind of businesses with my family and stuff, but, uh, still very much so involved and follow baseball with a, with a fiery passion. And this whole season has been, uh, pretty special for me to watch as a Atlanta Braves fan specifically. <laughs> so we'll get into the Braves in a little bit, but I got to know, Albert, I know you played college ball. Where'd you play and what position? Yeah, so I was a uh, I was an outfielder, corner outfielder, uh, much in the mold of a for the major fans of the major league movie franchise, Pedro Serrano. I could uh, <laughs> I could really I could really hit a fastball, Jack. Like I, I could time a bullet, but uh, breaking ball, the bat was afraid a little bit. So uh, I was a corner outfielder. I played at Lynn University here in Boca Raton, Florida. Uh, which is a perennial powerhouse division two program in the Sunshine State Conference. Played there for three seasons. Uh, we actually were uh, just after my time. They won the national championship in '09. Uh, you might know Tommy Canley of the New York Yankees yes. fame as a is a, uh, a Lynn alum. Um, and then I finished my career out at University of Tennessee Martin, which had some recent connections with you out of Chicago. Uh, Alec Mills, who threw a no hitter this year for the oh, Cubs, yes. is a UT Martin. Uh, former standout, so wow. he was a little bit after me. But yeah, that's where I played. I played at Tennessee Martin. Did you? You ever met the guy? So Alec was a few years after me. I was an 07 graduate of uh, UT Martin. I played for the Skyhawks in the Ohio Valley, and I did not meet Alec, but I, I followed his story, and it's uh, it's a pretty fantastic story. You know, coming in as a walk on who just kind of showed up on campus and said, "Hey, I'm I'm good enough to pitch on this team," and. You know, eventually being a uh, you know, one of the highest drafted guys, I think he might be the highest drafted guy in the program's history. And to see what he's what he did this year with the Cubs was pretty remarkable, man. I was definitely rooting for that guy. Yeah, that was a really surprising story. It was funny because I think it was Week One of NFL, and so all the Bears fans around here were not watching that game. And then the Bears ended up coming back and winning their game. They were down seventeen in the fourth quarter, and they flip over to the Cubs game, and they're like. Oh, no way. Alec Mills, six <laughs> outs away from a no-hitter. Yeah, you got to love it, man. You got to love the reaction at the end. It was fantastic. And it's he's a guy that just, you know, uh, all the comments from Rossi, I think, this year were really glowing about him and his makeup and his ability to come in and pitch in a, a variety of roles. You know, he was out of the bullpen at first. and Yeah. And he's kind of a throwback, Jack. He's not the 2020 Major League pitcher who throws 97 and just, you know, come and get it. 
keeps changes speeds, you know, throws kind of under under barrel speed in a lot of spots. So um, really excited, really happy to see a guy like that succeed, especially from my uh, from my alma mater. Yeah, that's awesome. Albert, did you ever get any looks from any scouts? Um, yeah, so I, following my senior year of college, I was invited to two pre-draft workouts. Uh, I was a right-handed hitting corner outfielder who uh, was pretty, I'd say, an average college player at best. And uh, it's interesting, man, when you get into the difference between college baseball and professional ball, especially when it comes from a scouting look. I'll tell you a quick snippet here, Jack. I, <laughs> yeah, uh, go right ahead. I, I got invited to a workout for the Tampa Bay at the time where the devil raised, but now the yeah. Tampa Bay raised. Uh, at Trop- I got invited to a pre-draft workout on there. And at Tropicana Field is about uh, maybe 30-some-odd guys. And I'll never forget, I was playing catch with this catcher from Puerto Rico, bigger, big, strong kid. And one of the scouts is walking around. He goes, hey, Destratus, so I see you're a senior out of UT Martin, you know, kind of just writing stuff down on a clipboard. And the kid I'm playing catches this warming up goes, oh, wow, so you were a college senior. I go, yeah, man, how about you? And he goes, oh, I'm from Puerto Rico. Uh, he goes, uh, how old? I go, how, I go, how old are you, man? He goes, oh, I'm 16. <laughs> so I, I was 22 years old, and I was the dinosaur of that workout. And everybody there was – bigger, stronger, and faster than I was. And they were much younger. So, uh, I learned pretty quickly that, uh, that, uh, my, my days were limited as a player, but you know, I still, I still loved every moment of it. And I still love the game, uh, from this side. Oh, great game. Great game. And yeah, I'm glad yeah. you get a chance to comment on the game now on a podcast. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's fantastic stuff. <laughs> and you played survivor. You made it all 39 days. You came so close. You made it as far as you could go. How's that compare to losing a playoff game? Wow. Uh, that's, that's really interesting. I, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of funny. I, I think that, that, uh, a guy on my season, Jim Rice made a comment about something like that, how the wins and losses in survivor feel so much more exhilarating or so much more dejecting, you know, you're just kind of like the highs and lows. And I, you know, I played college baseball and I, I, I was a pretty competitive guy. Our, our high school team was, uh, we were nationally ranked, man. We were, uh, uh, just to put it in perspective for you, Jack, six out of the starting nine of my, on my high school team were drafted at least once. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Uh, we had a second rounder, fourth rounder. We had all nine went to college. So from an early age, I was kind of groomed in that highly competitive mindset where, you know, we'd, my high school coach was the kind of guy where if we beat a team by nine, and we didn't play well. He just berate us. <laughs> so I was I was ingrained in that heavily aggressive, heavily competitive mindset. And you know, going out and competing on Survivor was for me reliving that ultra competitiveness. Uh, you know, at the time when I played, I was 26 years old. I was coaching high school baseball. Um, I didn't have two nickels to rub together. So the idea of going out there <laughs> and playing for that sum of money was literally life-changing for me so every day for me was um you know it was it was a battle and uh yeah yeah losing survivor definitely it definitely i i you know sometimes i'll make comments and i'll i'll, I'll i did one with dalton ross recently where i i kind of related my final tribal council just the way i look at final tribal council as like bill buckner walking back into shea stadium <laughs> and and remembering when he missed the that mookie wilson dribbler up the yeah. line so that's kind of <laughs> I always get those kind of vibes when I watch a final <laughs> tribal council. It still gets a little bit of that pit in the stomach, you know. <laughs> For sure. Albert, uh, last question in terms of warm-up here. I'm just wondering, I know you grew up, you're a diehard Braves fan. Have you lived in Florida your whole life? Where Where were you, where are you from? Where did you develop your Braves fandom? 
Yeah, so for our uh, for our hardcore baseball people out there, you probably know him. But so my uncle Orestes Destrada was an original Marlin in '93. Oh yeah, yeah, he was an original Marlin '93. Led the team in home runs and RBIs. Uh, I was eight years old at the time, and um, born '85. So born and raised in Miami, and then in '94, my uncle. Um, came back and had an uh, issue with his lower back. He had a kind of a bulging disc situation where he was advised to potentially needed some surgery. But, you know, for the kind of the time, you know, the, the era was kind of play through it for your team, right? You know, just grind it out. So he tried to play through it. His numbers kind of fell a little bit. And from my perspective, what our family kind of as being old school Cuban family uh, <laughs> looked at it, it was uh, kind of an unceremonious parting ways of uh, the team and my mm. uncle. So at the time, it wasn't exactly kosher to keep watching Marlins games in our household. So what was the <laughs> next? What was the next best option? Well, the Atlanta Braves on TBS, the Superstation. So <laughs> Nine-year-old me, who started to just get into baseball, started watching the Braves and those, you know, obviously the team of the 90s teams. And uh, that's kind of 35-year-old me now is paying the price for the decisions nine-year-old me made (laughs) (laughs) to become a lifelong Braves fan. That's kind of how it happened. Yeah, so you grew up right in that era of the 10, or it was 11 years straight, they won the division, best rotation ever at least in the modern era it was oh my gosh it was a great oh, era for yeah. the braves oh it was fun man it was really fun to watch you come in and watch day in day out just quality starting pitching it's uh it's really interesting even if you look at the playoffs now jack it's you know there's so many teams that it's like okay it's game four of this decisive series who are they sending out there and they're like oh it's an opener it's a bullpen day it's <laughs> yeah the 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 old uh, kind of way of, of getting things done with that starting rotation has kind of gone by the wayside. It's not just the Rays doing it; it's everyone doing it. You know, some teams have a one or a two, or maybe a three, but uh, you know, those days of having like you know Maddox and Smoltz and Glavin, and then whoever interchange in that four, whether it be a Steve Avery, and, you know, the young part of his career, or Danny Nagel, or you know, number of guys, John Burkett, the different guys that just cycled in there. Kevin Millwood. Kevin Millwood, man. Kevin Millwood had some Russell really great Ortiz, years. Russell Ortiz is another one. Russell Ortiz was a little bit at the tail end. Yeah, yeah. Russell Ortiz came over for the Giants, and uh, he had, a, he had, I think, he had a 19 game season for us, or 20 win season for us. But uh, yeah, that, those teams were really fun to watch, man. And I was, uh, especially for me, I was a, uh, I was a young outfielder coming up, so I always emulated uh, the guy in the center, Andrew Jones. You yeah, know? <laughs> got me a little <laughs> bit of hot water growing up when I tried to low basket catch some fly balls at like 13 <laughs> years old. Because I thought it was Andrew Jones, but uh, but it, they were they were really fun to watch, and I learned uh, a lot of my love for the game came from either my grandfather uh, Leoncio or watching those games. So it was really fun. That's awesome. So Albert, let's dive into these playoffs right now, and we'll, let's just start out with the Braves. I'll let you. What'd you think? They're off to a great start right now, five and zero. Just ran through the Marlins, so that was a really great outcome for you. Right. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That was fantastic. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, you know, I, the season's been really interesting, Jack. I think that, um, uh, I'll be honest with you when Mike Soroka went down with an injury against the Mets, it was kind of, was a freakish play of, you know, something I don't think a lot of people talked about that game that, that always sticks with me was, so the guy who actually put that ball in play was JD Davis. He had a chopper to back to Soroka. Mike Soroka comes, fields it off the mound and ends up tearing his Achilles. He was actually a late entry into that lineup. Um, I think, the Mets originally had uh, um, their left-handed guy, uh, lead, leadoff guy, his name escapes me right now. Um, Slade Nimmo? Th- no, not no. Nimmo's corner outfielder. The um, 
shoot. Well, they, they had another third baseman in, and he was a late scratch with back base. tightness. And then J.D. Davis plays, hits that ball, and that's how baseball works. Next thing you know, Mike Soroka, who's, you know, probably my favorite Braves pitcher to follow since the big three era. I've just been, fo- been following him since that draft. And uh, he went when he went down. I think it was a collective kind of gasp in the Braves community. You know, it was, it, we had yeah. it, it was it kind of let the wind out of our sails. You know, I'll be honest with you, I was a little bit. Um, you know, we had already lost some guys with Cole Hamels having some injuries, Felix Hernandez opting out early, uh, Mike Fultonevich throwing one outing against the Marlins and then being sent down to. Uh, the uh, the alternative the op- alternative site. So, you know, we we at that it was a pretty low day as a Braves fan. I thought that that might have been the end of our season. But the way that this team has really battled back, the way that you know the offense has put up for the Braves, kind of unprecedented numbers. The way that the yeah. bullpen has been absolutely lights out, probably even better than you know Alex Anthopoulos and his brain trust could ever have imagined. Um, it's been it's been fun to watch. I. Uh, I'm, I've entered every series with, um, you know, cautious optimism. <laughs> uh, this next series will be by far the biggest test of the season facing right. the juggernaut LA Dodgers. But um, it's been it's been a fun ride, Jack, and I uh, I'm just glad I get to see my first league championship series as a Braves fan since <laughs> I was 16 years old. Oh so. wow! Yeah, oh one! Wow! Yes, sir. Yeah. So I've been extremely impressed with this pitching staff, and I was I. Like you, I don't know. I didn't know all these guys. You could potentially have going to this next series four guys starting age twenty six and under, depending on where they want to go in Game Four. If they want to go with Bryce Wilson, they want to give it to Tomlin. If they got some other idea up their sleeve, but if it's Bryce Wilson, you could potentially see four guys age twenty six and under pitching in the playoffs. None of these guys with any postseason experience, and up to this point, they've answered the bell phenomenally. Oh, it's, it's been pretty wild. I mean, the expectations and what we've asked of this rotation, I, I mean, I'll take it a step further. I think I, I actually think the, the favorite to start that fourth game would be uh, a 22 year old by the name of uh, Husker, Oscar, Yanoa, who's been, yeah. he's been kind of an opener slash uh, spot starter for us. Um, but yeah, the youth and the, the results with that youth have been remarkable. I mean, I'd liken what Ian Anderson is doing in this postseason kind of to what we saw Michael Waka do years ago, right, with the Cardinals when yeah. he went on that big run where all of a sudden it's like Michael Waka mania. And he was probably <laughs> similar similar aged, right? I think um, Anderson's 22 years old and, and Waka, I, I think, was 22 or 23 at the time. Yeah. So, But it's, you know, what he's done and what Freed's done stepping in, Max Freed has really been – um, you saw it at the end of the last year too. For those who watched the Braves pretty closely, he was coming out of the bullpen for us last year in that in that uh, division series against the Cardinals, and you saw that electric stuff in the mid to upper nineties, where it's just you know the combination of the overhand breaking ball and then kind of like the power slider a little bit. Um, you know what Freed's done at twenty six, what Anderson's done at twenty two, and. Um, hopefully what we'll see out of Kyle right here, who's kind of taking some steps in the right direction after getting off to a shaky start. Um, you know, it's, it's been fun. It's fun to watch that ride and, and to see the the numbers that they put up and the performances. Um, you know, everyone talks about the Braves offense cause it's, it's been flashy, but the real, the real gem for us this postseason has been what the guys have done on the mound. Absolutely. And they're going to need those big contributions moving forward, especially against a really tough Dodgers lineup and a really good Dodgers pitching staff. We'll preview that in a little bit. Uh, Kyle Wright, you mentioned him. He 
was exceptional in game three. I think he went six scoreless innings, three hits, something like that. Seven strikeouts, maybe. He's really good. Yeah, Kyle Wright's a guy, man, who, uh, you know, I feel like he had for a little bit, he had a little bit of the weight of the world on his shoulders. He was yeah. the first, another one of those first round picks out of Vanderbilt. You know, the Tim Corbin and them have a factory out there, right? <laughs> they just, they just yep. keep churning <laughs> those dudes out there. And he was a guy who was a highly touted prospect in the Braves organization. Um, a lot of guys were high on him. His only real sticking point was there was kind of command issues that followed him from college into the early levels of the minor leagues. And, you know, every time he kept getting the call to the big leagues, he just seemed to struggle a little bit with the command. And uh, funny enough, you mentioned Josh Tomlin earlier, a uh, guy who I absolutely love and I think has been a great uh, presence in the Braves uh, clubhouse. Tomlin actually was the guy who made a move with Kyle Wright uh, about a month ago and moved him from the third base side of the rubber all the way to the extreme first base side of the rubber. And oh. I got to tell you, Jack, as soon as he made that move, it's like his ability to just command that sinker and just let it let it eat around the middle of the zone and just you know have nat- natural action has just really kind of uh, enha- uh, refreshed his entire season and kind of might be a career changer for him because now – He's pitching confidently. He's attacking the zone. His slider now uh, gets a little bit, um, changes that tunnel, or starts off in the same tunnel and just goes the opposite direction. And um, his results have been night and day ever since he made that switch to the first base side of the rubber, thanks, thanks to Doss Tomlin. So, um, you know, it's 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 interesting, man. It's These guys are so young, yet they put so much pressure on him now. You know, he's only 25 years old, and he's uh, been in pro ball for, you know, just under three full seasons now. So um, I, I'm hoping that this, the success continues with him because he's he might be the linchpin in that series. You know, he'd be the guy that, if it goes seven, might be asked to come back in a game seven and – uh, that could be a big, uh, you know, big ask from a young guy. But, you know, he's got the stuff if he believes in it and if he can uh, stay consistent with it. Albert, were you nervous at any point in this series against the Marlins? Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, being from South Florida and having some friends down here, I think there was some playful ribbing, especially <laughs> once once the Marlins beat the Cubs. I was I'll be honest, I was part of the Braves fan of me was preferring a Marlin matchup just because I thought they would be uh, not as imposing as the Cubs. But I got to say, I was impressed by their pitching, man. I mean, the, the performances by Sandy Alcantara and uh, uh, Pablo Pablo Lopez, like those guys have some real stuff. Sixo Sanchez, I mean, those guys are not, they're not, you know, a second-tier team on the mound. They, they had some guys with some power stuff. Um, it, it's it, There's no game that you can take for granted in these playoffs. So um, I, I don't want to say I, I was nervous. I was definitely a little bit more nervous in that uh that extra inning marathon against the Reds, there was a little yeah. bit of hyperventilating on my side <laughs> in that uh, wild card round. But uh, uh, it's, it's been a fun ride for me uh, to, to kind of go through this whole process. Yeah, and I think that was just huge for the Braves to get that monkey off their back and win a playoff series by winning the wild card. And then they obviously, you know, not, not super threatening matchup with the Marlins, but to just get a couple of wins under their belts, they haven't done that in a very long time. And, even if they end up losing to the Dodgers here, that's going to serve them extremely well moving forward, especially these postseason reps that these young pitchers are going to have. Yeah, without question. And I, I, I you know, it's, it's kind of nerve wracking as a baseball fan. I think, um, you know, I'll be honest, I'm not, I, I like the slight, the concept of a slightly expanded playoff, but I think when you go into a best of three series or a best yeah. of five series, there's so much more increased what I, you know, I think of as just variance, right? Where I think not, you're not always going to get the 
truest result of the better team winning. I do think the Braves have a better have built a better team than the Marlins at this point. I think the Marlins are going to right in a good direction, but I think right now the roster composition is a little stronger for for Atlanta. Um, you know, so it scares me sometimes in a short series. Uh, the, yeah. the, ir- the irony of that being Jack, that now we're going into a seven game series with no days off against maybe not just the deepest team in baseball, but maybe the deepest team I can remember in a really long time. <laughs> so that's kind of like the, uh, it's like, be careful what you wish for, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So now it's like we need to look to be the benefactor of a little bit of variance in the next series. But, um, yeah, it's uh, these playoffs, you know, the expanded formats made for some really some really fun drama, especially on uh, especially in the National League side for me. Yeah, it's fun. And I think we're pretty lucky that we have gotten the two best National League teams up to this point. And I think that the best two American League teams just played each other in the division series. Right. Yeah. So um, I don't I don't think the Astros really belong here uh, for a number of reasons. But I think it thankfully we didn't get some crazy outcome where now it's like the the Cubs and the Brewers or uh, whoever you want to throw in there on the American League side. Yeah, I I think the Astros are uh, there. I think baseball and uh, a lot of people in around sports media would really like to see the the Astros Dodgers rematch in the World Series, just because. I mean, you got to think about what what kind of bill that would be, right? With all yeah. of the with all of the you know issues with with trash can gate and you know <laughs> the, the comments back and forth from Kershaw and Carlos Correa and all these guys, kind of John. I think that's. You know, it's been interesting. The Astros have kind of like, I think they they played that and they've kind of like used that whole villain role to motivate themselves and put a chip on their shoulder and say, we got something to prove. But that's still a really formidable lineup. I mean, they they lost a lot of guys on the mound. They lost, you know, Verlander. They lost Cole. They lost, you know, Roberto Ozuna in the back end of the bullpen. But they've, uh, you know, Grinky's kind of probably taken a small step backwards just due to natural regression, as I think, believe is an age 37 season. Um, so I, you know, it's, it's, they've, 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 uh, they've been able to, to compete with regardless. And, you know, I think one of the things is their offense still does the little things. If I'm not mistaken, I think there were, I think they had the lowest strikeout rate in baseball this year, Jack, out of 30 teams. So, wow. you know, yeah, they, they, as much as they, if people like to take away from their offense and some of their, you know, average and you know, batting average numbers and result status, taking a step backwards, I still think they, they do the little things well enough to put themselves in this position. Yeah, I was more just making a comment about if you finish the season below 500, I don't think you should be in the playoffs. So oh, I hope you. this. I, I agree yeah. with you on that one. <laughs> yeah, I hope this format is gone next year. I imagine they they probably my guess, and you you can kind of you know chime in on it. I think they might do something in the middle. I don't think they're going to yeah. go back to the four teams per division, but I think that I think a six team per i'm sorry uh, four teams per league i think a six team per league thing might be the solution with maybe the top two seeds receiving a buy um i think eight teams is too many as we saw this year like you said teams under 500 usually should not be part of this conversation but listen we three of the four top seeds uh have advanced the, uh, to the league championship series right we have the one and two in the national league and we have yep. the one in the american league so uh, the outcome's been pretty true so far regard uh, despite the uh, unusual format yeah, I think they will do something of that nature because they were floating it out that they were going to have seven in each league, but this was back in February. And I I think six would be something that'd be easier to accept. And I do think that it would be kind of tough to give teams a buy because I don't know how much a buy helps in baseball because you can get a little rusty. 
Uh, but it also could serve and maybe you play, force those two teams as like a best of three type of series and a, with six teams making the playoffs. I think that'd be much more baseball fans would be much more welcoming to that than expanding to seven or keeping it at eight. Yeah, that's that's kind of the always the for me specifically, Jack, is always the the challenge as a baseball fan is I'm. I feel like I'm right down the middle in terms of like, <laughs> it's almost like not to politicize this because we keep politics out of it, but I'm almost like a moderate where I'm 50% old school, classic, old timer, like, you know, baseball's a cathedral. And I'm also 50% progressive where it's like, <laughs> we need to make changes, you know, the whole Trevor Bauer thing where it's like, hey, if we want new younger fans, we have to get, make the game more appealing and exciting to the 2020, not just fan, but attention span right people's attention spans are just shorter and they need a different kind of um stimulation so i'm always it's always working that balance and you know i and rob manfred and his uh team has made some interesting decisions that have made <laughs> some people upset uh, you know myself included sometimes in those but um it's not easy it's not an enviable job to try to maintain baseball status quo while also keeping it you know fresh for today's fans yeah, that's a really good point. I think I'm on the same page with you as just someone who's probably more old school than your typical 26-year-old, but also not to the point that, okay, like, you, I, you can't change anything. No, I'm, I'm cool with some changes. Right, yeah. So, all right, Albert, on the other side of the National League, Dodgers and the Padres, these games were on really late, and I know you're in Florida, so it's even later for you to catch some of those games, but... Uh, I was not surprised by this outcome. I thought the Dodgers were going to work through the Padres fairly quickly. What were your thoughts on the series? You know, I got to say that was one series that and I, I, I don't want to use the word disappointed, but I, I think it's, it's fitting just because I think that series could have been completely different if Dennison Lamette and Mike Clevenger at full health. I mean, yeah. that's that's a series that I thought was going to decide not only the National League, but probably the World Series if, oh, both, wow. team, if both teams were at full strength. Because I, I looked yeah. at that Padres lineup, I looked at that Padres, not only top half of the rotation, but, you know, what happens is, you know, with this new format, like, we're about to go into a league championship series with seven consecutive days games of no off days. You, that, what that tells me is you need a long rotation. And I thought if you have Lamette, you have Clevenger, you have Paddock sliding into like the three or four slot, you have Zach Davies, who had a pretty good year, you know, becomes now your four or five guy. You know, you have Richards who can come in as a fifth guy. Now, all of a sudden, that the length of that Padres starting rotation with, you know, and backed by that offense, which is dynamic and explosive, with, you know, as explosive as anybody in, in baseball currently with, you know, Tatis and Machado and Eric Osmond and all these guys. I, I thought that, would, that was going to be the series. Like, that series was going to determine who won it all. But, you know, the Padres, they, they gave forth, they put forth their best effort against a really dominant team with, you know, you know Clevenger coming out there and, and throwing, you know, I think it was an inning full and then coming out because he just couldn't continue. And yeah. obviously, Lamette couldn't come back through, throughout the playoffs at all. He's a really, he was a guy who really had a, you know, jumping onto the scene season where all of a sudden his stuff is explosive. He's, you know, his numbers are pretty dominant this year. So I think that, you know, moving forward, AJ Preller's made some pretty aggressive moves over at San Diego to put them in a position to not just compete this year, but compete for a couple of years and really challenge the Dodgers for that, you know, NL West uh, kind of dominance. Yeah. They feel like America's favorite bandwagon team right now. 
Yeah, they're the they're the. It's funny. We just to kind of wrap up what we were just saying that that new school baseball. They're the they're the poster children for the baseball isn't a cathedral anymore. Let's bat flip. Let's make it exciting. Let's uh, you know bring that kind of energy that we see in the other sports. Um, where it isn't as sovereign and it isn't as Nick Marcakis in <laughs> Ian, <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's more that Tatis and Machado and the flair. So, um, yeah, we'll we'll see, man. Yeah, they are they are kind of that fun team that everyone likes to watch, and you know, it, it moves the ratings clicker. I'm sure it does. Yeah, absolutely. MLB ratings, by the way, up this year. Regular season ratings were up. Did you catch that? I was not aware of that, but that makes sense. More people working from home, more people are, um, you know, just hungry for sports after having a long layoff. And, uh, you know, there's not as many things to really go out and do. So I think staying at home is and watching sports is a really good option. And I, that's why I'm excited that MLB went through this season. I thought it was a great opportunity for, uh, you know, us to showcase our sport and our game. Um, and really say, Hey guys, like this is, this is a still a very fun, enjoyable, um, sport, especially in the postseason, I think playoff baseball just has a different energy and feel to it. You know, I've seen some really tight, close games, man, and it's <laughs> it's it's like it's like nothing else. I think it's I think the intensity is fantastic and the competition's fantastic. So um, I'm glad to hear that the ratings are up because uh, you know we we definitely need that in our sport. Yeah, ratings were up. Major League Baseball and NBA, the ratings have just kept going down. I didn't even watch the finals. Um, that's another story, but. I think baseball's in a really good spot right now. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I, I uh, that's to me. I think that the other leagues kind of got wrapped up with some other things outside of their sport that might have mm-hmm. been a detractor. I, I, I honestly think that sports is a place where people go to escape and enjoy themselves and enjoy yep. their team and forget about the stressors of their work life, their per- political life, their whatever other things they're doing. And I think baseball's done a good job. I think you know as much as. Rob Manfred can be criticized in a lot of different <laughs> avenues. I think one of the things he was successful at was, you know, being respectful to these social issues that are going on while not letting it take the forefront of the mm-hmm. sport, right? The game is still the game. And that's why people uh, tune in. If they want to tune in, if they want other things, there's a million, you know, cable news networks and media outlets to find all the other stuff they can want to look at. But if you tune in to watch a baseball game, you're there to watch baseball and be entertained by that sport. So I think that that's one of the few things that the commissioner actually got right. Amen, brother. I'm on the same page with you on that. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. So, But yeah, I think you're right, though. If the Padres were healthy and they had the pitching, this would have been a great series. And maybe we'll see that next year. This Padres team is not going away. They were a lot of fun to watch this year. But looking at the pitching matchups going into the series, I just didn't think that they were going to have the firepower to hang with the Dodgers. And that's what it'll be real interesting to see how the Braves pitching fares. I, I like the Braves pitching more than I like the Padres pitching. Yeah, I mean, the Braves, what they're doing at that top of the rotation with that one-two punch is, it's been unexpected, but it's 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 really the, the recipe to win in baseball. You know, I mean, a lot of times people are talking, you know, talk about, Oh, the Braves, you know, they got this great offense. But at the end of the day, if you really look back and, and break down what are the teams that have had success in postseason baseball, there's very few teams that are that live and die by the three-run homer and win yeah. eight to seven ball games. You know, these teams that are successful, they establish a core of, of 
dominant arms or establish a core of arms that work together in concert, and that's how they win. That's the that's the really the tried and true postseason formula. You know, whether it be you know what the Nationals did last year, where they basically shuffled you know Corbin Scherzer. Uh, and those starting pitching arms, Steven Strasburg, and just kind of use them to piggyback one another. Or it's what the Royals did, you know, a handful of years back where they just had that super bullpen um, and used them and kind of started this whole kind of led us into this bullpenning era. It's always predicated on the mound, right? So yeah. I think that's really the difference and what's going to be important for the Braves as much as, you know, I love what Marcel Ozuna's done this year at the plate, <laughs> you know, and Acuna and that whole lineup and, you know, Travis Darno and, um, it's going to be predicated on how well Max Reed and Ian Anderson and Kyle Wright and and that slew of bullpen arms hold, hold up. And same thing for the Dodgers, man. It's you know for them, Walker Bueller's you know that guy's that guy's upside is is fantastic, man. Yeah. I think he's one of the best pitchers in the National League. Um, you know, Clayton Kershaw is a guy who has been criticized for his you know ineffectiveness in the postseason, but at the end of the day, Jack, that's. Clayton Kershaw is the best pitcher of our generation, really. If, <laughs> yeah. if you look down at his, you know, his career coming up on age 30, I believe, the guy's been literally, you know, as good as anybody for a 10-year stretch in the history of baseball. So, you know, you can't you can't fall asleep on that guy. And, you know, they just have a, a slew of arms that themselves, you know, Dustin May coming out there running, you know, 100 miles an hour with the ball moving in both directions. You know, Bruce Gratterall, uh, Bruce Gratterall, same thing. Strikeout numbers aren't massive, but his stuff is overwhelming. So um, that's really what it's going to be as much as these offenses are so closely matched i think what uh what happens on the mound is really going to determine you know who, who moves on albert i thought we were going to be disagreeing a little more especially talking kershaw i set my numbers up to defend kershaw today i got uh <laughs> so kershaw here's the thing with the postseason absolutely while he has not been madison bumgarner like in the postseason right. there's only been one guy like that and he hasn't been as dominant in the postseason, I think it's fair to mention that he's now up to like his 32nd postseason appearance. He made his first trip to the postseason at age 20. He's had a long career in the postseason. And if you look at a lot of the struggles came in those really early years when he was under the age of 25, I'll just go back since 2015. So this is the last six postseasons, including this one, 14 and nine with a 386 ERA. That's good. That's a, that's very, I think the, I think the problem that happens, Jack, and and that's a really good point that a lot of his struggles came early is, I think with the postseason and the stakes being elevated, I think there's elevated expectations for the guys who are superstars, right? So yeah, I, I you know I'll never forget a guy like you know the much maligned Alex Rodriguez had a famous postseason where. Um, Joe Torre dropped him to like the eight hole in the lineup. And it's, you're looking at him like, man, can A-Rod not just do it in the playoffs? And it's like, it's really not necessarily that. It's just with certain guys come certain gigantic expectations. And if those guys falter in any regard, all of a sudden it's easy to tell the story of this guy doesn't have it. He can't do it. He can't, he can't get it done in the big game. And I just think Kershaw has been a guy who, has hasn't you know had the best fortune in some spots i don't know I, yeah i remember watching a lot of those games and i'll tell you i don't know if these teams kind of had something on him like and i'm not talking houston astros spy <laughs> game i'm talking about like old school baseball where I, you know i'd watch I, I remember him i remember watching him throwing postseason series against the cardinals yeah and matt adams would go up there and just sit on a sit on like a neutral count breaking ball and drive it with a runner on second i'm like 
I don't know if that runner has the signs from the catcher or something because the 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 swings they would put on him looked like they you know you know it, it didn't seem like the Clayton Kershaw that we we came to see. So I, I I think he's I think for a guy like him who's so competitive and works so hard, I think it's I don't think it's a mental thing. I think it's something that has motivated him and it's going to make him work harder. And you know I'm I'm that makes me fearful as a Braves guy because this guy's got <laughs> something to prove. You know he might be the greatest pitcher of our generation, but he still has something to prove. He still hasn't won that world series he still hasn't you know had that signature moment in the postseason and uh you know it's 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 tough man he's gonna take it out on somebody and 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 he's had a he like you said he's not madison bumgarner not everyone can come back on three days rest and throw a gem or one day's rest like bumgarner i think did and came out of the bullpen yeah. and, and, and shut people down like 2014 yeah yeah it's you know not many people are are capable of doing that and especially a guy like kershaw who's you know if, he's never really had arm issues his, his issues health-wise have usually been back related and that's generally something that you know is affects somebody who needs a certain routine and a certain rest schedule so i think with the depth of the dodgers this year hopefully they won't need him to come back on short rest and that 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 in and of itself might be a big leg up for him you know yeah i think the other thing as to why he's gotten so much criticism is just because the team has gotten so much criticism he's been there the face of their franchise this whole run eight straight trips to the postseason eight straight division titles very much like the braves team that you fell in love with as a kid now the the braves won a championship they won that world series and kershaw has not done that so the team's shortcomings are going to fall upon the guy who hasn't pitched as well in the postseason as people would have liked to see him pitch. Oh, for sure. Yeah. The, the blame falls directly on the top. It falls on him. It falls on the guys that have been there for a while. It falls on, you know, Kenley Jansen, who's, who's gotten a little bit of ire this this uh, postseason run where, you know, Dave Roberts is losing her confidence in him. It falls on Dave Roberts. You know, at the end of the day, yeah. you know, he's he's the guy on top making the decisions. And he's the guy that's, you know, decided to stick with Kershaw on certain spots. And it's come back to bite him. You know, I remember the Nationals went back-to-back home runs on Kershaw last year in a, in a pretty pivotal pivotal game, and it always seems like Kershaw's the guy on the wrong end of that just booming, yeah. surprising home run that just leaves you saying, wow, I can't believe this is happening again. Uh, so who knows? This this could be their se- This could be their year. I uh, I truly think Jack, whoever wins this National League Championship Series, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out of limb and say it, will probably be our 2020 World Champion. I I truly believe that. So, and I think the Dodgers are really tough. So, um, I, yeah, I'm interested to see how it plays out. I hope I hope it's the Braves, but I you know the the the, the Braves fan in me says that, but the baseball person in me thinks the the Dodgers have are the best built team to do it. Yeah, the big X factor in this series is absolutely the Braves rotation. If they can, what all they got to do is, and it, it, I shouldn't say all they got to do because it's a tough ask for a lot of young guys, but they got to do what they did against the Reds, essentially neutralize their amazing starting pitchers and then turn it into a bullpen game where the Braves have a clear advantage. Yeah, the, the Braves really, you know, for them, it's in this, the way that, you know, the the general manager, Alex Anthopoulos, has set up the team. They really have a team. They don't need the starters to go nine or eight. You can really set themselves up like there's – got to tell you, there's nine guys in that Braves bullpen that are pretty reliable. I mean, seven that are effectively high-leverage go-to guys. When you look at Chris Martin and Tyler Matzik, Melanson, O'Day, Will Smith, I mean, guy after guy, A.J. Minter, guy after guy after guy. 
you, you're very comfortable running out in a high leverage situation. So really the, the blueprint is similar to what you said is, you know, try to go toe to toe with those high, with those, you know, high quality starters, keep the game close through the first six and kind of do what the Braves has done the last three years. You know, the Braves have sneakily won three consecutive divisions titles. And I got to yeah. tell you, somebody who watches a lot of their games, a lot of their success comes late in the game where th- with the Braves ability to hold the other team at bay and their ability to score runs off some pretty tough relievers. The Braves, uh, uh, and I don't have those numbers specifically in front of me, but I want to say the Braves have to be one of the leaders in maybe not just maybe not the NL alone, but the whole league at um, success scoring in the seventh, eighth and ninth inning and probably run differential in those three innings this year has probably been fantastic. So um, that's kind of be the formula for the Braves. And, I, and I'll tell you, the Dodgers, if they do have a chink in their armor, it is that bullpen. Their bullpen is not what it once was, and it's not what yeah. the Braves have. So there's question marks around Jansen. There's question marks around Blake Trinan, who, despite having fantastic stuff, had a rough month of September. You know, there's question marks, um, you know, how Dustin May is going to be used if he's in the rotation. Now, that kind of weakens the bullpen a little bit. So, um, you know, I think that's if the Braves are going to kind of shock the world in a way, it's going to be predicated on winning that bullpen matchup, keeping the clay, keeping the game close early and and, and kind of out dueling the, the Dodgers bullpen in the in the back third of the game. Albert, is there anything else you want to say about this series before we make our picks? Anything else I want to say about this series? Interesting. Um, yeah, I I, I I don't know if there's a whole lot more to say. I uh, be interesting to see who the Dodgers throw out there in a game three, I, I, game I, four. I, yeah, I, I, that's that's one of my biggest questions: is who's going to be the game four starter for both sides? I'm also interested to see. Just one thing to keep keep a note of is this year during the regular season, uh, a very especially last half after Nick Markakis came back. Uh, a, a very casual, a very common move by Brian Snicker was to start Tyler Flowers behind the plate and DH Travis Darnell. The issue with that is that now puts Marcel Zuna in the outfield, and yeah. he was w- one of the uh, I would say worst defensive outfielders this year uh, in the National League. He was <laughs> yeah. uh, his, his defensive was. run saves was pretty poor, and the stadium where they're playing this uh, LCS is. Pretty, pretty uh, generously sized outfield. So I'm curious to see what Brian Snicker does facing what will most likely be, um, you know, Kershaw in game two. And a lot of people imagine, you know, Urias, Julio Urias in game three with those left-handed starters. How is, is uh, Snicker going to manage uh, Darno behind the plate or potentially DH with Flowers potentially coming in? And does he sit Marquecas and put Ozuna in the outfield um, I think those kind of decisions are going to be tough. And also, you know, it's a seven consecutive games. You, you can't expect the same. You can't expect Arno to catch all seven. So right. uh, if it goes seven, so there's, there's going to be some interesting decision points for the managers. I think both of these managers um, have had their success with their division wins, but have been questioned in some big spots. Uh, I like Brian Snickers. Uh, I think he's a generally good, like great guy. Seems like the players love to play for him, but I don't think anybody would consider Brian Sinker to be an elite analytic uh, prodigy by any stretch of the imagination, right? So yeah. he's more of an old school field manager, which um, and a lot of these really intricate decisions can kind of um, he might get a little lost. So I, I, 
you know, I'm hoping that he makes the right decisions. And I know there's going to be a lot of uh, the, the magnifying glass will be on him, just like it would be on Dave Roberts and how he manages the other side. So um, th- those are the little things that I think sometimes can really determine a series um, that a lot of people sometimes take for granted. One other thing, the Braves or sorry, the Dodgers are adding former Braves starting pitcher Alex Wood to their roster for the ALCS. So maybe he could be a guy you see in a game four potentially. Yeah, it's an embarrassment of riches over there, the the, the arms that they have <laughs> and the, the roster composition that the Dodgers really have. I mean, it, I was looking at it today, Jack. The, the Dodgers are carrying 13 position players, same as the Braves. Yep. But if you really break down player by player, I think all but Austin Hedges are can be considered impact bats in some capacity, whether it's a matchup guy or it's just a pure guy. So that's 12 impact bats that the Dodgers have, whereas the Braves really have 13 position guys. But, you know, you have a Charlie Culberson who's really a super utility. You have a Tyler Flowers who's kind of a guy who's, you know, just an aging veteran catcher who's more uh, of a frame, you know, uh, framing pitches type guy. You have a Christian Pache who's really kind of the future of the franchise in some capacities, but this year is just really there for, you know, defensive help. So, you know, the depth of the Dodgers is just so scary, man, when they just can <laughs> add a guy like Alex Wood, who was an all-star and had some really big success recently. He's only 29 years old and um, they're, you know, the matchups and stuff they're going to present are going to be really interesting. So uh, we'll, hopefully we'll have a little bit of success <laughs> against, uh, against our old, our old friend, Alex Wood. <laughs> All right, Albert, I'm going to say that I think this series goes a distance. I'm going to go with the Dodgers and seven, however. Dodgers and seven. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm actually, I, I have to pick with my head, not my heart here, Jack. I'm actually going to go. I'm taking the Dodgers as well. You can do both. I'm, I'm taking the Dodgers as well, and I'm saying the Dodgers will win in six. Okay. Yeah. I think I think the Braves can push the series to seven. I think it will be a really good series. As you said, I do think that whoever wins this series has a good chance of winning the World Series over whichever AL team is up there against them, which we'll get to in a little bit. But I, I really do think that it's, again, all the stuff we've talked about, the Braves could have a good bullpen day where they, they get a win. They could get a couple of wins from Ian Anderson, maybe one from Freed. I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to watch, but I think the Braves are going to uh, make a good push. Two teams that are 5-0 and in the postseason thus far have not had to go their fourth starter. I think it'll be a great series. Oh, I'm excited. I'm excited. I think that I think those third and fourth starter games are really where yeah. the rubber will meet the road because it'll kind of set up the Braves whether they have to bring back Max Fried in a you know in a game five situation on three days rest or Ian Anderson in game six on three days rest or do they give him an extra day? It's it's a uh, it's a really interesting uh, chess match that's kind of unprecedented. Now, from your heart, are you optimistic at all? Oh, from my heart, there's definitely optimism. I, I kind <laughs> of. Uh, you know, funny enough, I, I kind of liken this season to from the Brave standpoint as to what, you know, being down here in South Florida, a lot of my friends who were Miami Heat fans did where, you know, they went into a series against the Lakers knowing they were overmatched. And but yeah. knowing that the team had put forth a pretty fantastic run to get to where they were and a pretty impressive showing on a national stage, which you know, in turn could lead the heat to kind of having some larger, to be able to woo some larger free agents, whether it's a Giannis Antetokounmpo or guys like that. I think the Braves even making it to this step and, uh, you know, potentially competing with the Dodgers 
um, could be a nice step in the right direction for a franchise that doesn't really spend a lot of money on the free agent market. Um, You know, if the Braves can somehow do something here and now position themselves to next year sign a guy like a Trevor Bauer, for instance, or make a move for a Chris Bryant type guy, all of a sudden now you're solidifying yourself and doing what other teams haven't done, which is, you know, you look at the Indians, you look at the Cubs, these teams, they're on the precipice of these, having these young cores to make a big run. And a lot of times they've subtracted, not added. And they've kind of stalled where the Braves are kind of, are starting to peak a little bit. And for me, more importantly than even winning this particular series, it's really about positioning themselves to make some key additions to really turn themselves into one of these super teams that we've seen win, you know, <laughs> at, at crazy clips last couple of years, whether it's the Astros, the Dodgers, the Yankees, et cetera. Albert, I think that's a good transition point. I do think that the four best front offices in baseball right now, now I would say... I think three of them are in it right now. I'd say Rays, I say Braves, I say Dodgers. And when I say right now, I'm not talking about like a guy like Theo Epstein, who's more accomplished than probably any executive in baseball, but hasn't had, he hasn't, he's been on a slump, like players can be in slumps. He's been in a slump lately. Uh, but in terms of who's been doing the best job right now, I don't think it's a coincidence that three of the top four or five. Uh, front offices are three of the last four teams standing. I put the Yankees in there as well, who just missed out. Yeah, that's a really great point, actually. I think that uh, we've learned from uh, what Major League Baseball has done the last few years with just the Tampa Bay Rays front office alone. I mean, how many former <laughs> Rays executives are GMs right now? It's the numbers mind-boggling, right? Yeah. Uh, and and that franchise, you know, it's uh, you know, I had people ask me like, man, who's this guy, Randy or Resurana? Where did he come from? It's like <laughs> every time the Rays make a trade with somebody, they know something the other team didn't. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's it's pretty wild, man, that to be that they've been able to be this competitive with that much uh, with that payroll and that, you know, lack of resources at times. And I agree, man. I think these these uh, it's a really fantastic point. I think these these remaining teams, even the Astros before, um, you know, everything went down yep. with, with their. Um, kind of internal stuff, man. They were they were lauded as just being such a great organization who was years above everyone else. And I mean, the way they put that team together, the Astros haven't been a perennial, um, you know, big market <laughs> franchise, but they put together a team like they were, man. I mean, they they were they were deep in the lineup, they were deep in the in, the, in pitching. Um, I think that that's the way to do it nowadays. Where it's you know, you look at your organization, you take you take a deep look at what you have, and you. You know, you, you 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 take your lumps for a few years, and then you build your team. The Rays were not good five years ago, and neither were the you know the Astros were not good in you know 2012. The Braves had you know three years there where we were not competitive, and you, you stockpile draft picks, you, you make good decisions, and and you grow your team the right way, and that's kind of what. What I think is it's, it's fun to watch in baseball, especially for a guy like myself. You know, I like watching these guys come up from a young age, seeing these these highly touted uh, draft picks developed by their organization internally, brought to the big leagues, and then have see them have success. And uh, there's just a lot of guys like that, and there's and there's more coming in all of these organizations. You know, the the Rays have the number one prospect in baseball, Wander Franco, who's you know everyone <laughs> says is going to be a, an all world guy, and there's just every every single team has more of those guys coming through their organization. They're not they're not just all top heavy at the big league at the big league level. So um, it's there there's some really smart and 
uh, aggressive franchises within their means uh, playing the series, playing these uh, couple series. Yeah, what separates those front offices is just the ability to continually draft and develop talent and not rely on the free agent market. And really, none of those teams have made, you know, if they've had a bad free agent signing, one or two of them, they haven't derailed the organization. And a team like Tampa, a team like uh, like Atlanta doesn't have the same kind of money that the Dodgers do. Dodgers are able to use that money to retain all those players. The Rays have such a small window where they have to just uh, maximize on those guys. And they, I don't know if you read, uh, did you ever read the book uh, about the Rays? It was called The Extra, Extra 2%, How Wall Street Strategies Transformed a Baseball Team from Worst to First. I didn't read. I did not read that book, but I do know about Andrew Friedman and, and his whole gang and how they, uh, you know, and, and the Dodgers. Funny, funny enough, the Dodgers ended up kind of taking them from yep. the race organization <laughs> over to their, over to their side, and uh, that's those those small edges are how these teams are able to compete, like a team like the Tampa Bay Rays, where, you know, to me they're. Man, that's that's such an interesting ball club to study because it's, you know, they they run out literally, you know, a almost like a platoon like lineup where in some spots where it's, you know, you have you have G Man Choi in against righties, but you don't have him in against lefties. You don't see teams pinch hitting for their four hole hitter in playoff games. But that's <laughs> that's what the Rays do. They're just like this is the way we do it. We can't go out and sign, you know, these Manny Machados or Bryce Harpers of the world. So we have to do it in a different way. And I. You know, to me as a baseball purist, I kind of love that. I like that 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 those kind of teams who can, you know, outsmart a lot of uh, other organizations can still remain heavily competitive. And um, you know, really, if you look at these rosters, Jack, none of these guys that are impact impact guys are free agent signings. Now, there's a Mookie yeah. Betts who the who the the Dodgers traded for and then signed, or there's, um, you know, the Braves have some. Marcel Zunas of the world who was a one-year deal but these aren't guys that are going out and giving you know 12 12 years uh, you know 300 million dollars to they're guys that are they're making savvy short-term investments on or making very well-structured trades that benefit their organization and I think that's to me that's a lot of teams in baseball have learned that's that's kind of more of a winning formula than the old Yankees model of all right who were the last 10 all-stars signed them all like (laughs) that's kind of uh it's a little different yeah, the Tampa Bay Rays payroll for 2020. I'm just going to give the salary of coming into the season, not the prorated number, because that'll be too confusing for the listeners. But New York Yankees, I'll start with the Yankees. Their payroll for 2020, $113.9 million, which is by far the highest payroll in baseball. That's a prorated number, right, Jack? With the, uh, is it the 113? It's got to yeah. be, right? Yeah, that's the for the 162 games. Gotcha, gotcha. Yes, yes. So, gotcha. I, I maybe I goofed up the use of the word prorated. <laughs> no, yeah, the the, uh, the the raise the discrepancy on them and the Yankees Dodgers. I think that's you know I, I heard a comment of um, one of the announcers. I think it was during Game One of the ALCS. But uh, the way the Rays celebrated, did you happen to catch how how? The the exuberance after they beat the the Yankees in Game Five of that National League, oh, uh, yeah. I'm sorry, the ALCS. It's to me when I was watching that, it looked like they were just like it was cathartic for them. They were like, <laughs> "We finally beat the evil empire. These are the bad guys." Like you know, the Rays have a chip on their shoulders. They know that the Yankees are the big bad, like 
you know, they're the guys and nobody, you know, you know, even though the Rays were the number one seed, they were kind of the underdogs in a lot of people's eyes. And that's just how it works, man. And for them, it's, I think it's, it's poetic justice to go out and beat those teams with less payroll and less big names and uh, just, you know, a different formula of team baseball. So uh, I, I, I find that fun to watch. And I, I like to see the, that little, the little guy, the underdog come out and be able to do that despite, you know, the, the, the drastic gap in payroll. Yeah, so Albert, $113.9 million for the Yankees. The Rays, $28.6 million, which is the 27th highest in baseball, and just a quarter of the Yankees' payroll for the season. So the Yankees have four times the amount of money spent on the, as the Rays did on their ball club. Or um, another way you could put it, uh, the the Rays had $28 million in their ball club, and the Yankees had uh, $36 million in Garrett Cole alone. <laughs> yeah, if you think about that in dollars and cents, purely dollars and cents, the Rays are spent. Think about how much less the Rays are spending just per win, per specific <laughs> win. It's it's pretty mind-boggling, and it's, and it's, it's pretty wild that – it's not just a, what I think is most interesting, Jack. It's not just a one-year thing. It's not like, yeah. oh, wow, this is a cool story where the 27 team in payroll just happened to have an upstart year. They do it year in and year out. And that, to me, is what makes it special because you know a team can get hot and have a really good season. But I knew that the Rays were scary when I want to say it was three years ago in the 2018 season. The yeah. Rays were, I think they won 89 games. Um, yeah. And I was like, how are these guys win? Like they, they had a great second half. And I remember looking at like, I looked at their roster. I'm like, how did these guys win 89 games that division? I mean, remember this is when the Red Sox were still, you know, I think they were the, the Red Sox won the world series that year. The Yankees were still coming up pretty strong. The, you know, Toronto was still semi pretty competitive. Like, and I'm looking at, I'm like, these guys, man, they, they must be doing something that nobody really knows what they're doing. And, and then, and you know, Year in and year out, they continue to do it and continue to put it up, and it's it's pretty awesome to watch as a baseball fan and somebody who likes kind of building teams with um, underrated and undervalued players. Like yeah. kind of, I, I prefer to do so. Yeah, and they have success in the postseason too. They won the wild card game last year. They pushed the Astros to five games in the ALDS. And going back to the Joe Madden years when they went to the World Series and won the AL East uh, a couple years later. I mean, they, they, as you mentioned, they've been doing it over a long period of time. And really, it's interesting because we'll talk about Oakland in a little bit. And I love Oakland, and they're always a great story. But I, I got to put the Tampa ahead of Oakland right now in terms of the best mid-market, uh, small market, mid-market front office, what they've been able to do. Because the... Oakland A's have won one playoff series. Well, now two because they beat the White Sox, which was a series that someone had to win because no one had won a playoff series in 15 years. But the A's have advanced out of the ALDS once over the new millennium, and that was in 2006. Yeah, I think I think a big difference between the two franchises, and I think it's it kind of circles back to a point we made it early in the conversation, which is I just think the Rays have been so heavy on. De- drafting, developing, yeah. and and concentrating their team on that the concept of the power arms, right? They yeah. they're a little bit more innovative. I think the Rays kind of are the money ball, you know, mantra, which is do things slightly outside the box. You know, they started the concept of the opener and bullpenning have really expanded that, and they've done it on the mound where Oakland 
you know, for what we know on the outside, it seems like their focus in Billy Bean is more the offensive side. They're just like, yeah. okay, let's let's develop all these guys who are on base guys who do these things well, but um, don't necessarily you don't you don't necessarily see Oakland running out these level of arms that the that Tampa does, and um, and I think that's evident by not just what the Rays have on their roster, but look at all these guys that Tampa. It's just a tried and true method. They draft an arm, they develop him, and then they let him. They either trade him or let him walk, and usually end up with a crazy return. It's like you look at the Chris Archer. You look at a guy like oh, Chris yeah. Archer. Chris Archer was a pretty good major league pitcher with some slightly above average stuff, but the Rays literally took him, developed him, got you know m- multiple years out of his prime, and then they trade him and get back Austin Meadows and Tyler Glass now, and it's and <laughs> Shane Baz too, and Shane Baz, yeah, was you know that devastating breaking ball from the right side. It's just like they, their ability to capitalize on those arms and how they leverage them. You know, they've done it time and time again. They did it with David Price. They did it with, you know, guys like Matt Moore, guys like James Shields. They just let these, they, they know how to maneuver these guys through their prime and then move them for pieces that are just always kind of like, you know, reload. Whereas Oakland, I think their model is a little different. Their model is closer to, what Anthopolis kind of does, whereas let me just find super undervalued guys. Yeah. You know, I, I actually liked Oakland's moves at the end of this year. They found, you know, they got Tommy Lastella for a player yeah. to name later, who's a really effective guy ended up leading off for them in some big games. They, they, they traded for Jake Lamb, who was kind of left for dead in Arizona. T- Tori Lovello yep. literally couldn't find him at bats. I remember watching a Diamondback game and Lovello's quoted saying, yeah, I'm just trying to get him some at bats. He was playing one out of every like, once a week, next thing you know, Jake Lamb's batting third in a playoff game for the A's. It's like, how do these, how do these guys do it? So I think, I think the diff, that's to me is the big difference is the A's just find undervalued guys and the Rays develop guys and turn them into fantastic arms and then always trade them for a crazy haul somehow. It's just wild. If I was, if I was an MLB exec, I would just not make any trades with the Rays because I would assume they know more than I do. And yeah. whatever it is, I'm going to always be on the losing end. Yeah, how can you trust them? It's like yeah. they're always going to win a trade. <laughs> I'd be like, you guys are too good, man. I'm sorry, I can't trade with you. If, if, if you want my guy, then he's going to be the next like superstar. <laughs> so I'm just going to decline. <laughs> yeah, so game five of the ALDS, I love this. It came down to Garrett Cole and Tyler Glass now, who just three years ago, both those guys were with the Pirates organization. And the Pirates, oh, yeah. out of those trades, they received... Chris Archer, Joe Musgrove, Michael Feliz, Colin Moran, and Jason Martin. They also had to give up Austin Meadows and Shane Baz in those trades. Yikes. <laughs> and the Pirates, as a result, won an MLB worst 19 games this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that, that's the difference in being a small market franchise who, you know, for whatever it is, you know, aren't you? It's again, listen, it's not an enviable be- position to be in to be in a tough division. The NL Central is, you know, historically a pretty tough division with the Cardinals and the Cubs and the Brewers being competitive and and having to, to navigate that division with limited resources. But, you know, when you make those kind of trades and give up guys like Glassdown and, and Meadows and, you know, and Garrett Cole, I think it's Garrett Cole to me, I wouldn't harp him as much. Something something happened with him. When he went to Houston, he became a new pitcher. You know, there was something going on with Brent Strom and those guys over there where they they were able to take, it's almost like the Leo Mazzoni factor circling back to my Braves where, you know, Leo Mazzoni in the mid-90s could take a guy at the back end of his career with, 
almost one foot out the door and just kind of turn him into a superstar. It's like, you know, we, we get guys that were, you know, Chris Hammond came over to the Braves in like the late nineties and like yeah. his mid to late thirties and like won an, an ERA title. And you're like, how is Chris Hammond doing this? And it's, you know, sometimes certain organizations just develop a knack for, um, you know, back in the day it was old school stuff. Nowadays it's obviously the, the advanced metrics with the spin rate and the tunneling and um, the way the pitching is taught. So um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't harp on the pirates that much for Derek Cole, but you know, guys like glass. Now, when you see him pitching nowadays, you're like, man, this guy's, this guy's special. You know, it's six, yeah. eight from the six, eight from the right side, throwing a hundred plus with just wipeout stuff. It's, you know, those are the ones that really hurt. Um, especially when, you know, their return and Archer wasn't really, you know, what, you know, I, I guess they had hoped for, you know, with health and results. So, um, it's, it's, it's interesting to see how these, these teams like the Rays just continue to do that. Yeah. Really is. It really is. And that Rays Yankee series, it was my favorite series out of it's clearly the best series of the wild or sorry, the division series. It was great. And I love that game five where it just came down to a classic two to one. You're on the edge of your seat. Who's going to who's going to score that one run that's going to get that team the win? And uh great series. I my one takeaway on the Yankee side, however, would be that I think the Yankees are still in the same spot that they've been in for a few years. They're too dependent on the long ball. Yeah, I think um, I agree with you, Jack. I think that series was fantastic. I think there was a genuine level of, I don't want to say animosity, but just true. Co- tr- <laughs> there may have been some of that. competitiveness. <laughs> and yeah, maybe a little bit of animosity between those teams. Like, I don't think they like each other very much, which I think is, is, is interesting. I think Garrett Cole... You know, I was encouraged by Garrett Cole. I saw Trevor Bauer post something about him. You know, he came out on short rest and really, you know, he gave him everything he got. And, like, there's unfortunately a stigma in baseball where some of these guys, you know, for, you know, historically have come out and worked and put up big years on contracts, you know, the year the year their contract expires, signed a big deal, and then kind of go into cruise mode, right, where they're like, all right, I got paid, it's all good. Like, And you didn't see that from Garrett Cole. Like, Garrett Cole was out there because he wanted to win, and he wants to prove that he's the guy and he deserves that money. And um, I, loved, I loved the way he pitched, and I loved the way that that series played out. I love what Glass now did. And, again, the Rays being the Rays, like – they do things that we, you know, me at home, I consider myself pretty well versed in baseball and so are you. And they do things that I'm just like, man, what do they know that I don't know? Like, how do they know to start glass now on a day, re- a day less rest than uh, Blake Snell was on, right? Where they run him out for two innings and then they they kind of bridge the bullpen in a way that I I, I never would have expected to them to run, to no, run it out yeah. that way. All of a sudden now and like you're letting – you know, you know, you're letting Nick Anderson go for for nine hitters. You're letting, um, uh, uh, what's the other guy? Those, uh, <laughs> they got so many guys throw hundred. It's it's hard to, uh, yeah. Uh, they had another guy bridge in the middle. Then they go to Castillo at the end, and it's you see like Morton and Snell warming up in the ninth, and it's it's like man, the way they 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 structured the pitching for that game was just so it was so different than I than I would have expected. And but it's just it's just the way they do it, and, it, and it's effective and it works. And then obviously that home run at the end of the game from Chapman after you know the drama of getting getting your you know your Mike Brousseau, you get you get the you know that fastball thrown at your head, and you get to yeah. come back in that spot. It's just. It's like if you saw it in the movie, you'd be like, "Man, this is like tough to believe," and that's that's what makes it fun, you know. So. Oh yeah, 
It was very similar to how the Yankees season ended last year. It was, yeah, you're right, with Altuve hitting the home run off Chapman, you know, and the whole like uh, Buzzergate yep. type deal. <laughs> <laughs> the whole Buzzergate. Peter Fairbanks was his name, by the way. Peter Fairbanks. He's an, yeah, oh, he's yeah, another yeah, guy yeah. who just comes out and brings a hundred right at you. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy, but um, yeah, it was it was really it was a really fun series to watch, and um, I think that 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 race team is going to be. I think they're I think they're going to I think they're going to give it to the Astros, man. I think they're going to come out, and you know, we saw it last night yeah. a little bit to begin of it and um I, I i think they're gonna i think they're making a run for the world series and i think whoever comes out of the national league is gonna have really a really tough series uh, set of arms coming at them from that Rays uh camp yeah i think the rays are just clearly the best team in the american league this year i mean they won seven more games than the yankees and i think that that could have been a very well could have been a seven game series between the two best teams in the american league but i think like I, I have a lot of friends who are maybe a little more casual baseball fans. Um, maybe not. They don't watch as much as you and I do, but they were all like, oh, yeah, Yankees are going to win this series. Yankees, Yankees, Yankees. And I understand it, especially just going off of experience and postseason. But it's not like the Yankees have really done anything in the postseason in a while. But uh, yeah, yeah. But they haven't, they haven't had that. You know, I think the difference for the Yankees, Jack, is they haven't had those next year starting pitchers step up and give them a performance like we've seen some other teams do right where it's like you know this year the Astros had Framber Valdez come out and uh the previous series and just throw a gem against the Oakland A's you're like man where'd this guy come from and yeah that that kind of stuff hasn't happened it's been you know they needed the Garrett Cole their big time guy to come out and they really haven't had those second tier or third tier guys step up for them on the mound it's been um you know they've been too reliant like you said you're right on the home run and on their bullpen carrying them and it's you know you need some starters for some length especially in a longer series it's not a one game playoff it's a five game series or a seven game series you need a little bit of starting pitching uh to carry you and the, the yankees just haven't had that yeah so now are they going to add trevor bauer with all that money <laughs> trevor bauer man he might be i gotta tell you he might be my favorite <clears throat> my favorite uh, pitcher personality in the game. He's such. Yeah. A, I, I had a chance to see him speak actually in 2011. He had just been drafted by uh, the Diamondbacks out of UCLA, and I saw him speak as a young guy at a baseball convention. He spoke at the uh, the National Baseball Coaches Convention in Nashville, Tennessee, and I was blown away by how smart he was. I was like, man, this guy is a brilliantly um, you know, meticulous master of his craft. He spoke about pitching biomechanics. And at the time he was work, working with this guy named Ron Wolferth, who runs a, the Texas baseball ranch, who was like the original, like driveline type place. Right. And he, uh, you know, Bauer was just up there and I, and I met him face to face. I'm telling oh, you, wow. he's, he's not a big guy. He looks like, I remember looking at him up close and I'm like, if I didn't know this guy was a major league prospect, I th- I thought he, my literal thought was, he looks like he works as an, as, at, a, at an ice cream shop. He like, he's like, <laughs> he's like barely six foot tall, like fresh face, not super muscular, not super anything. And, you know, lo and behold, the guy just brings it and is a huge competitor and is awesome for our game. And I think the way he's doing things on Twitter and, you know, I don't know if you follow him on Twitter, but he'll, yeah, he'll he's write, great. He'll, oh, he's amazing. He'll just write like, Oh, I'm visiting uh, Washington DC. Anything fun to see here while I'm and like getting all these teams to like, you know, uh, you know, fans and stuff like that to tweet at him. I think he's so good for our game. And when he writes stuff on his cleats, like, you know, I, I, I'm a fan of Trevor Bauer. I love him. And I, I hope that he uh, continues to, to be the personality that he is for our sport, because I think he's a positive lightning rod in a way. And I think that, uh, 
Um, you know, there's too many peers that might be the shy away from him, but I think he's great for the game. And I, I think he's not just, he's not just a great personality. He's a great pitcher. What he did on the mound this year was just, you know, absolutely dominant. And uh, he's fun to watch on both sides of the field. I think he ends up, my prediction is, I think he ends up on an American League team. And I think he wants a crack at the Astros in the playoffs. He could go to the White Sox. That makes sense. I could see him going to a young, exciting team like that, the White Sox, or I, I'm holding out hope he comes to the Braves, man. I, could I happen. Don't, I don't know if he's going to stick to what he said earlier in his career or he's doing the one-year deals only. Yeah. If, that, if that's the case, the Braves might be the perfect place, <laughs> yeah. man. We, we like one-year deals, man. We like yep. Ozuna in a one-year deal, Josh Donaldson in a one-year deal. Even Cole Hamels this year didn't work, but that's yeah. kind of the, that's kind of been the anthology model. Dallas Keuchel signed midseason last uh, last year, so if he's on a one year deal, man, I think he might be that guy the Braves need. But we'll, uh, I'm interested to see where he goes because there's so many teams that need him. Think about how many teams could use Trevor Bauer in that rotation that are heavily competitive. It's it's pretty wild. Totally, so. Albert. We might have to do an off season special in a couple months here. <laughs> Let me know, bud. Let me know. I'm game, man. I love I love talking baseball. Sweet. Okay. Uh, do you have any other thoughts on the Astros A series? Uh, I, I have another little snippet for you on the Astros that I, yeah, I'll, I'll, share sh- I'll share with you. So it's a really, <laughs> it's kind of a, it's, <laughs> it's shocking. If I, if I didn't personally experience it, I'd be like, no way that really happened. So <laughs> last year, I cannot make this up. This is hundred percent verifiable last year during game seven of the world series, uh, Astros and nationals. I went to one of my local, I, I play a little bit, I play a good amount of poker, right? And I went to one of my <clears throat> local casinos here in South Florida, the uh, which I'll, I'll remain nameless, but, and I sat down to play some Texas Hold'em, and I, I, uh, I kid you not, at my table was Mike Fires. Oakland A's, former Astro, current Oakland A pitcher, Mike Fires. Now, remember, this is October of 2019. The Astro story did not break until, I want to say, January of this year, something like yeah. that, right? Yep. And I sat there with him and, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty big baseball fan and South Florida isn't that, um, they're not at our level, uh, lo and behold. So just, you know, I was the only guy who knew who he was and I didn't want to make a, I didn't want to make it whatever, but you know, we had had some connections. He had played, uh, he played at Nova Southeastern university here in Florida. He's a Florida guy. Um, I had played in the same conference at Lynn, uh, his pitching coach in high school. I actually coached under him when I was a baseball coach. So we had a lot of things in common so we started just talking baseball a little bit and uh became friendly and i'm watching game seven of the world series with mike fires at my poker table while the (laughs) astros his former team played the nationals and it was weird for me because i watched him watch that game and i was asking him questions i was like man how great is you know i'm asking him all sorts of questions because at the time i was kind of in awe i'm like kind of from the brian kenny school of like yeah the Astros are unbelievable. How are they so good? Like, I just kept asking questions. I'm just like, man, you know, are, <laughs> are they that much better than everyone else? Is Jeff Lunau, <laughs> is Jeff Lunau really just uh, a, a genius? Is How good is A.J. Hinch? And his answers were kind of lukewarm. He didn't tell me anything, but he was just <laughs> – I could tell he was a little bit – um, you know, not like super jazzed up for like, oh, these are my boys. They're about to win it. 
Yeah. And whatever it is, what it was, I guess <laughs> I was just assuming he was just being kind of shy and stuff like that and didn't want to break into his whole, because you know, he's, he's a kind of, he's right. a quiet dude and he's yeah. not super, you know, brag, you know, that kind of brag guy. So, and then lo and behold, man, uh, it's three months later, the whole story comes out where Mike Fires is the guy <laughs> who breaks a story that what the Astros were doing, man. And it was just, it was wild. I could never have imagined that, that he was, I'd be sitting there playing poker with Mike Fires who broke the story personally. It's, it was pretty wild for me. <laughs> That's so, incredible. Oh yeah, my gosh. Yeah, I could just was, imagine you were just like, oh, Oh man! Oh, this this kind of makes a little bit of sense as to why he was uh, acting that way at the poker table. It was man. He was just casually playing the public poker game on Game Seven of the World Series, like casually watching. Uh, I mean, I was paying more attention to the, the baseball game than he was, and I'm like, this is crazy. This guy's a current big leaguer <laughs> who played for. Remember, he was on the Astros in I think 17, right? 17 yeah, was, he was last there. year. Yeah. So, and, uh, you know, I just assumed it was kind of a thing where, you know, since he left the team and they didn't resign him, maybe there was something, he was harboring something from that. But, uh, yeah, I, I had no idea what the, what the scope of that story was going to be, Jack. So it was, it was pretty wild for me to, to, to be there. Yeah. That's great, Albert. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The only, the only stories you can get on the Jack Vita show, you can't get this anywhere else, folks. This is, uh, yeah, this is, <laughs> this is an exclusive, that's an exclusive story right there. Nobody else has that. So <laughs> that's great. Yeah. So, uh, not too much to talk about with the series. I mean, we, we touched on Houston, we touched on Oakland, Chad Pinder though. I want to give him a lot of credit for that home run that he hit three run bomb, tie the game, uh, stepping into Matt Chapman's spot with Chapman out for the season. Uh, they gave it their best shot. Um, I was disappointed by Oakland's bullpen because they do have a talented bullpen, but they weren't fooling any Astros in the series. Yeah, Oakland just, man, they, they seemed like they were a little bit, um, they just, they were missing something. They didn't have that. They didn't have that starting pitching. It was kind of a guessing game. You know, Lazardo started the first game of the first series, and then they they kind of mixed and matched a little bit. And their <clears throat> I think their down their decline was yeah without Matt Chapman, who yes he, he you know he's a great defender and has some power, but I think he's kind of similar to the rest of that Oakland lineup where they're just a little bit too streaky and you know. Uh, out castle or outhouse man it's like when they're going good they're going really good and when they're going poorly they they seem to pile up a lot of strikeouts not be able to be very effective offensively and they uh you know it's it's a disappointment man because i i i root for them i like what they do to me they're you know they're the original obviously like small yeah. market perennial contenders but they and now they're getting kind of that stigma like you mentioned earlier where you know they can't win the big one and i i don't necessarily think that's true i don't know if it's like an inherent um you know lack of it's not like the moment's too big for them i just think that they their team was missing a little bit i think they're yeah. missing a little bit offensively in the middle i think they're missing a little bit on the front end of the rotation um and i think that i think they're going to be <clears throat> i think they're going to be a little bit better as those pitchers you know guys like luzardo and aj puck and a lot of those young arms continue to develop and um you know they they're they're a team that i, I think will continue to compete but um I, I i just think the astros were hot and the astros you know offense really lined up well against what the A's were running out there on the mound. And uh, that's a tough team when they get hot, man. That's a long lineup with a lot of threats. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, the A's, as you mentioned, they'll be right back here next year, it looks like. And the Astros window may be closing here. We don't really know uh, how many shots they're going to keep getting at this thing. And again, they A's won about 10 more games than the Astros did this year. 
They did, yeah. But yeah, you're right. The the Astros window. I mean, look, this is a walk year for George Springer. You know, he might be yeah. gone. Um, you know, Yuli Gurriel just re-signed on a one year deal, but he's he's an older guy. You know, he's in his mid thirties, and uh, you know, we saw some. We saw you know, Michael Brantley's a free agent as well. He's on a full walk year, so a lot of their key cogs are. You know, there's is their time to potentially move, and we saw the Astros let Garrett Cole walk. We, you know, they're they're not, despite their success, they're not the Dodgers, they're not the Yankees. They don't have an infinite, um, you know, a bottomless pit of money. They're, they they still have to work within certain financial limitations. So, um, you know, they have they have their work cut out for them. And remember, they were penalized, Jack. They you know they lost. I believe yep. it's a first round pick in the next two years, and maybe a second round pick. So. <clears throat> they're going to be <clears throat> their their uh, minor league organization or minor league uh, um, uh, situation is going to take a step back potentially with losing some draft picks. So they're going to have to bounce back and and make some and you know make some some really smart savvy decisions a la Oakland and Tampa if they want to remain this level of competitive. Yeah, and you take a look at the AL West. I mean, twenty nine wins, twenty nine and thirty one was good enough to be second place in the division. Now, maybe maybe the Angels or the Rangers are a little better next year. Maybe Mario Lanza's Mariners are a little better, but it doesn't look like anyone's going to be super threatening to the A's moving forward. I, I think of those three teams you just mentioned, I think the Angels are probably the closest. I think Artie Moreno is it's been pretty evident, is willing to invest money into <clears throat> his franchise. I just think they have some, you know, poor, poorly aging contracts. Obviously, you know, Albert Pujols, who's, you know, the greatest right-handed hitter of our generation, yep. is on his way out, but still has a lot of money uh, left uh, owed to him at a uh, his AAV. I feel, still think is over thirty million. Just the Dustin Upton contract now looks pretty bad, um, and it's not that old of a contract. So I think the Angels are still going to be aggressive. I mean, they still gave Anthony Rendon a king's ransom to come over this year. Um, they have Mike Trout, who's in his prime, obviously. Um, I just think if they continue to spend and use that money on on pitching, yeah, they need uh, pitching. They could turn a corner in a hurry. You know, they, they add a guy like Trevor Bauer, or and you know, and Shohei Otani potentially comes back on the mound, and they can they can find some guys. Uh, that offense could be very good for a while uh, with a lot of the pieces they have. So it's it's. I, I wouldn't be surprised if the the Angels leapfrog Houston in the next couple of years. They were actually they were one of my picks. I liked them this year to to take a step forward, but they unfortunately just couldn't do it on the mound. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, let's make our picks for the ALCS. We had a game last night, so we did see game one. I came into this thinking Rays in five, maybe six. I think the Rays are going to get through the Astros. I just I don't think it's going to be too much of a problem for them. And we hinted at what the Rays have in their bullpen. I mean, it's amazing how many one-run games they've won over the last couple of years. They've won like... 59 straight when leading in the eighth inning or something like that. It's some really crazy stat right there. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I, I think that that, that stat is uh, indicative of how the Rays have created their, have, um, you know, put together those teams. They're, they're, they're deep. They have power arms in the bullpen. And I think for the Astros, that stat alone is a little scary because the Astros really aren't that strong in the bullpen. You know, they lost Roberto Zuna for this for the season. 
They let Will Harris walk in free agency. They uh, they don't really have that formidable of a, of a bullpen to compete with a Rays in a in a um, man for man showdown. So they're going to need the, the uh, Houston's going to need a really big outing from Lance McCullers today. He's he's going to have yeah. to come out and be really effective. He's going to have to give him some length. He's going to have to really you know they're going to have to hope that they jump on Charlie Morton early and put some run, runs up because if they fall behind two zero. Uh, Houston on uh, this ALCS, that could be it for them. You know, they're, uh, yeah. they're, they're going to be, in a, they're going to, they're going to have an uphill climb with what will most likely be Tyler Glass now in game three against a uh, Zach Grinke perhaps. So, um, this is, this is a pivotal game in this series and McCullers needs to really come out big and, and do something against, uh, and do, and, and put, and put them together a big performance for Houston. Otherwise they're going to be in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Yep. So what's your pick, Albert? I'm going with the Rays, man. Uh, my uncle, Restless <laughs> Destrada, who we mentioned at the beginning of the uh, the podcast, is a Rays announcer who works for Fox Sports Florida. So oh. I, I'm hoping that all things kind of all roads lead, lead to a Braves and Rays World Series. That's what I'm hoping for. I know a lot of the fans want to see the Astros and Dodgers and the uh, you know the old uh, poetic justice grudge match. But <laughs> for me, for for me, man, I'm I, I'm I'm picking the Rays. Uh, I think they're going to win, and I'm hoping they're going to win. So it's a it's a I'm all in. I'm all in on Tampa Bay. How many games? I like Ta- I like Tampa in six. Actually, I like Tampa. I think I think the I think Houston might steal a game tonight. Yeah. I think tonight's a good game for them to steal, and they might steal another one when you know the Rays do their bullpenning in Game Four. Um, but I, 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 I like Tampa in six. Okay, and that would potentially. I guess you have the Dodgers in six. I yes, have sir. the Dodgers in seven. So they have a chance. The Rays could potentially run through this series fairly quickly, and they did start a day before the National League division or National League Championship Series did. So they would have an opportunity to rest their bullpen and their starters very nicely before the World Series. Yeah, I think one of the odd things about this postseason has been the way, the fact that the series don't have any off days, but there yeah. have but there have been multiple off days in between series. So yeah. um I think I think free tonight going for the Braves is on five days rest, if I'm not mistaken. Um which is interesting because he could be going into like a five day off three-day rest come back situation potentially but um that's kind of been the only thing that's been um interesting about the you know how the how the structure of the postseason is so you know i kind of like that to be honest with you when there's enough time in between series for the teams to line up their rotation the way they want to i like seeing the ace versus the ace the two versus the two i like those i like those matchups because i think that's how you you get your truest outcomes it's like all right our best versus your best come and get it who's gonna win you know and that's to me that makes for the most drama and the best games in my opinion and I like it as a podcaster because it gives me about a week in between. I, I have an idea of when the series is going to end and when I have a couple days to churn out an episode and get it out there before the next series starts. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it, it, it hurt. It hurt a little bit to, to not have postseason baseball on a weekend in October. It was a little bit strange <laughs> last weekend. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's. With that, with with the negatives come the pluses, and I think that this, you know, not going up against the NFL or the NBA in certain spots might be good for our sport to get a little bit more of the limelight. So, um, yeah, and for media as well. So hopefully it uh, hopefully it all works out, and uh, we'll have a nice good series here. Gives me a chance to just watch college football all day long on Saturdays. There you go. There you go. It's <laughs> <laughs> great. Boy. Albert, uh, we have one other piece of baseball news here before I let you go. 
Uh, Rick Renteria out as the manager of the Chicago White Sox, which really is an interesting situation. It said that they... White Sox and Renteria agreed to part ways. Now, I live in Chicago. I had heard for a little while this season that the Sox could potentially boot him in a similar fashion to how he got booted out of the North Side, where he managed the Cubs for a year. Joe Madden became available, and he replaced Renteria. He was a good guy. He was only there for a year, but with the Sox, he did a really good job of getting him to that point of contention, but now it looks like they want another manager to come in to take them to the next level. I have to think that they're making this move with their eyes set on someone in particular, and I have a good reason to think that it's A.J. Hinch. Yeah, interestingly enough, I think Rick Hahn came out saying some comments that were pretty telling and might be in line with what you're describing, something about he thinks the best candidate would be somebody who has experience with a championship championship organization in recent years. If, if that's not AJ Hinch, who is it? Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, so. Alex Cora, but Alex Cora, the reason why I think I would lean a little more towards AJ Hinch is Alex Cora's record is a little dirtier than Hinch's because he may have been more involved with the whole situation with the Astros. And then he goes over the Red Sox and they have the whole Apple watches thing. I think his track record might be a little, uh, little more tricky. Yeah. To bring I, think, him I in. think a lot of people pin Cora as like the ringleader behind some of the shenanigans. Yeah. Whereas Hinch was more, it happened under your watch, you know, which are two different, yeah. um, kind of, you know, gravities of crime right and degrees of you know when you go into the degrees of of being wrong so um that's interesting i feel bad for rick Renteria. i think he did a really good job with a really young club this year um you know that was kind of peaking you know we, we've seen that before where guys are removed you know i remember in basketball i think they um they Mark Jackson was the coach of the Warriors, and then yep. he gets fired. Next thing you know, Steve Kerr's the coach. And like, wow, Steve Kerr's amazing. It's like, well, uh, <laughs> technically, uh, Mark Jackson kind of like groomed that group until the point where they were. So it always kind of hurts when you see that happen. But um, and Rick Renteria, fun fact by the way, was uh, a Marlin with my uncle Restus Estrada in those oh. original days. Yeah, him and uh, he was a '93, '94 Marlin guy that uh, my <laughs> uncle. Uh, yeah, I had some talks with about potentially doing some coaching with sometimes, but um, he's a nice guy, man. From everything I've heard, he's a really good guy, really good um, for the young players. And, you know, that, that White Sox team, man, they have such a strong nucleus of young position players that it's it's scary, man. When you look at Luis Robert and Eloy Jimenez and Yohan Mankata, I mean, that's a, that's, a, that's a pretty formidable group coming up that they have. And if they add some arms and – Man, imagine if they, uh, you know, imagine if they kept uh, another guy whose name you know, uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who was, you know, or Marcus Simeon, or Marcus Simeon. That's right, or Marcus Simeon. They, uh, you know, they they were involved in some trades, but I still think that they have a heck of a core, and I think the White Sox are going to be scary moving forward in that division. I think the AL Central. The Indians are taking a step backwards. I think the Royals are still ways away, same as the Tigers. So that that division could be, you know, kind of the White Sox for the taking. You know, the Minnesota's always kind of in that mid-tier. But um, I think that the White Sox could be set up for a pretty nice run with that with that group, if uh, uh, depending on who they bring in, both managing and, you know, on the mound. Imagine this, Albert. A.J. Hinch managing Trevor Bauer on the White Sox first round against the Houston Astros in the playoffs. Man, you really love that drama. You're setting up that. That's a heck of a dramatic <laughs> situation. That's interesting. 
I'll tell you what, I that, just that, might, hurt, right that now. might hurt their ability to sign Trevor Bauer. You know, knowing yeah. knowing how Trevor yeah. Bauer operates, he might he might he might have a no AJ Hinch clause in his contract. Yeah. <laughs> he might he, he might could. yeah, he might uh he might just say no, but that would be that would make for quite the story. You're you're definitely right against you're definitely right about that. <laughs> Good old Bauer, man. I love that guy. Oh, he's great. Albert, this was so great. Um, before I let you go, is there anything else uh, baseball-wise you wanted to bring up? Because I know you don't get to go on baseball podcasts every day. I do not. This has been fun. I've done uh, you know, I've, done, I've done a handful of the Survivor-related podcasts, and it's always fun to do those. But this is, you know, before, when it's all said and done, baseball's always been my true love. I really enjoy it. Um, I'm kind of working my way back into the fold myself. I, uh, going to help out my, my old alma mater at Lynn university a little bit this year with some player, uh, just some kind of recruiting type concepts this in the next couple of seasons. That's great. So, uh, it's always fun to circle back to my true love of baseball. And I, I've had a great time, Jack. I appreciate you having me on, man. And, uh, you know, sharing thoughts with you about, about all things MLB. Yeah, this was a blast. We'll have to do it again. Albert, you're always welcome. It's an open line. You got my phone number. Just hit me up anytime you want to come on. We can do uh, off season. You can join me for an NL East preview in the in the spring. Uh, you are definitely. I gotta say, you are a self proclaimed baseball whiz. And after talking with you for the last hour and a half, uh, you are absolutely a whiz. I, I didn't know what I was going to be dealing with today. <laughs> I appreciate that, man. Yeah, that Major League Baseball for me is kind of my, it's like more hobby and stuff. When I say whiz, it's it's more about, I think, what I kind of want to do eventually, which is circle back into college baseball. And I really enjoy the idea of team building and recruiting and doing that whole thing for, for that. So that's kind of where I, I hang my hat. But, you know, talking MLB stuff with you is still, it's, it's great and it's fun. And it's, I, I, had a, <laughs> I had a blast with you, man. So I, I'm glad that I, that I was able to, to, to meet the the standard that I set for myself with the old social media, you know, <laughs> social media marketing. Social yeah. media. All right, Albert, do you want to throw out? Is there anything you would like to plug while you're here? You want to throw out your Twitter handle or anything of that nature? Yeah. If you guys ever, uh, you know, listeners to the podcast, if you want to check me out on Twitter or the old Instagram machine, I am the word zero underscore votes. Uh, spoiler alert. It's something to do with my time on Survivor. <laughs> uh, to hear about all things baseball, Survivor, and just some funny stuff in between. I don't take myself too seriously on the internet. Neither should you guys. So uh, if you want to <laughs> check me out, I'm zero votes on Twitter. All right, Albert, thanks again. Hope we can uh, do something like this soon. Sounds great. Appreciate it, Jack. Thanks for having me. Ladies and gentlemen, that does it for my conversation with Albert Destrade. He did an excellent job. Great job by Albert. was so fun having him here. I had no idea he was going to drop that Mike Fire story on me. I'm still speechless after that one. That one was, oh my gosh, that was a great story. Who knew? You can only get that here on the Jack Vita Show. Guys, we have a great episode coming out next week. I will be speaking with Joey Ricotta. He blogs about the Cubs and baseball. He also writes fantasy football and fantasy baseball advice columns daily fantasy he's a really great guy joey ricotta he's over at primetime sports talk really glad to have him on he and i've been trying to link up for a while and work on something together so be a lot of fun we will preview the world series and we will be recapping this championship series let's see how did i do this time i mean i did 
three out of four of the last round, so not too bad, not too shabby here. The A's were wrong, but moving forward, I mean, hey, we'll see if we get this Rays and Dodgers World Series that Albert and I are both in agreement on. We will find out. Make sure you are subscribed to the podcast so that you can get that episode right when it comes out. Leave a five-star review on iTunes. Write a few kind words. Goes a long way for this show. Subscribe wherever you can find your podcasts. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Jack Vita Show, Facebook.com slash Jack Vita Show. Again, great episode coming out next week. Until next time, I hope you guys are doing well. Take care and stay positive. Enjoy this series. It's going to be a lot of fun. Enjoy the week. Enjoy the college football. Enjoy the NFL. Until next time, I'm Jack Vita. Bring in the dancing lobsters.